we are in a, uh, a bit of a transitional time in our church. Uh, if you can't tell by looking around, uh, there's some transitions happening. Things are different right now. We are moving from a place to a place. And if you've been to Grace for any season or any length of time, we've been through lots of transitions. It was only a decade ago when this little body of believers was 25 people huddled together in a cafeteria. Change happens. Transition happens. And God is doing something in us and through us, and he's preparing to take us from where we are today to where we're going to be 10 years down the road. We are in a time of transition. And transitions are sometimes messy, and they're not always easy, and sometimes they're difficult. And so that's why I love that all the lights are on in here today. Because you can see all the flaws, and there's like that big metal thing, that's not even supposed to be, that might fall on all of y'all. I'm kidding, it's fairly secure. So, I mean, you you can see, you know, it's temporary, you can see the mess ups of the concrete, the dust, there's a scissor lift right there for Pete's, I love it. Like, you can just look around and see, we can't hide the flaws in this room with lights today. Oz has been revealed, (laughs) Right? love that though, because it's days like this, days in transitions, days when the light is bright, when you need to stop and look at who you really are and where you're really going. In times of transition, in times of moving from something to something, we must take the time to stop and remember what this is really all about. Who are we really? Because let me tell you guys something, we are becoming a big church, but if big church becomes our whole identity, then we have lost our way. We're more than a big church. God is doing something special through this place. And even in our, in our readings right now, we're, we're in this transitional reading time where we're moving from Matthew and we're moving from Exodus to Leviticus. And I know so many of you have been so excited to get to Leviticus. It's here. <laughs> It's time for Leviticus, right? Y'all couldn't wait. You made it. But it's a transitional time in our reading, and, and this is important stuff. But before we leave Matthew, and as we're gathered together today on this, on this monumentous transitional day, I want us to stop and remember who we are. And in Matthew chapter 28, there is a passage that we must not ignore. And it says in 28, 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's funny. Jesus died on a cross. He resurrected. Now a dead man is talking to them, and they still doubt. And Jesus is like, I got nothing else for you. What do you mean, juggle? So there's still people who are doubting. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's so good, man. These were the last words of Jesus that Matthew recorded. Matthew had been with Jesus for three years, right? Been hanging out with him, doing life with him, and, and Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. And this is the last words of Jesus that Matthew, it is possible that these are the last words that Jesus spoke to Matthew while they were on earth together and while Jesus was still walking amongst. These are the last words, and last words are important 
Jesus could have said anything in that moment. In movies, you see people with all sorts of lasts where they, they get shot and they're, as they're falling back, they, avenge me. Like if those are your last words, something has gone horribly wrong in your life. If your last words, mine would be Wolverine. <laughs> like the, these were Jesus' last words on earth, according to Matthew. And he says, is it, yeah, put that back up there for me if you don't mind. And so if these are the last words of Jesus... I think it makes sense that we should kind of sit in this for a little bit before we leave Matthew. And so it says, go, down around uh, verse 19, it says, therefore, go, that's a command, that's, that's imperative, like I want you to go, that implies some sort of movement, some sort of motion, some sort of activity, some sort of action. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples Disciples, that's a noun, but I think it's also an adjective because it's describing some traits and characteristics about a group of people. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them. This is another action step. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And most of us just stop right there. Yes, amen. Yes. We make disciples. Why? Because we go and we baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God's like, but that's not the end of the verse. It says, and teach them to obey. Every, every, everything. Obey everything I have commanded you. Everything. To obey everything I have commanded you. He says, all authority. Read that. All authority has been given to me. I am the authority. I am the authority. As a matter of fact, I am, I am. I am the authority. All authority. This is Jesus resurrected from the grave. All authority has been given to me. And I'm telling you, it doesn't say please. Jesus, please go. It is, please. I am telling you, go and make disciples. And you baptize them and you teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you because you can't do this without me. And wherever you go, I will go. And to the end of the age, I will be there with you. Now go and make disciples. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that is what we are called to do. That is why we exist today. To go and make disciples. So today in this messy time of transition, we're going to have a family business conversation. Y'all ever have family conversations? And if you're a guest here, I'm glad you're here to, to hear this today because uh, probably one of the most offensive things you ever get is a group of people who gather every Sunday and then you see them Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, and they don't look any different than the rest of the world. So if you're a guest in this house today, I want you to know you're off the hook. But what offended you was never Jesus Christ, it was us. Remember that? Jesus has never offended you. But if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're family here today, I'm talking to you. And when I say we're having a family business conversation, I can then say whatever I want. <laughs> it's like if I say I love you, but, you know, if you say I love you, but, you can say whatever you want. Or, or I hate to tell you this, but, forgive me, but. So this is a family business conversation. I can say whatever I want, and you're not going to be mad at me or send me any emails that Caden and Kinley are going to read, because I've already said this is family business. You with me? So we're going to have a family business conversation. 
about what this passage should really mean to us today. We exist to make disciples. And for a lot of us, we're like, duh, of course, we read that, maybe. But I kind of believe the definition of disciple has gotten a little watered down by the American church. It's like we somehow started to believe that Christ's entire existence is to forgive our sins. And that the pinnacle of discipleship, that, that the word Christian simply means one whose sins have been forgiven. Like we think the entire thing with Jesus centers around his forgiveness of our sins, which makes us the entire center of the whole Jesus story. Jesus came for the purpose of forgiving my sins. I prayed that prayer. My sins are forgiven. Bada boom, bada bing. That's it. What if there's more to the Jesus story than forgiving our sins? What if he didn't just come to forgive your sins? What if this is really about him coming to empower us so that we could do something for him? What if he's the center of the Jesus story? Your sins are forgiven? Congratulations. That's not the end of your testimony. Too many people, you're like, man, tell me your Jesus story. Man, I was 22 years old, and I, I was at this church, and I heard this pastor, and I accepted Jesus Christ. And you're like, yes, yes, tell me the rest. And they're like, well, that was it. I accepted Jesus Christ. What more did you want from me? Well, how kind of you. You accepted Jesus. What a gracious thing to do. I mean, really, if that's your whole Jesus story is the day he forgave your sins, that is like so A.D. 32. It's time to move forward, okay? For real. There is more to the story than Christ forgiving your sins. We love the forgiveness, but for some reason we seem to think that him becoming Lord of our life, that him taking the complete rule and reign over everything is optional. We believe obeying everything he commanded us is optional. I don't have to obey you. I'm forgiven. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Because one day people will say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, no, you don't know me. You don't know me. You didn't obey anything I commanded you to do. Guys, this stuff matters. This stuff matters, and too many of us are in church feeling too comfortable because we think our sins are forgiven. Ordinary Christian, right? I don't want to be a disciple. I just want to be an ordinary Christian. I remember I had a friend of mine a few years back. This is about 10 or 12 years ago, and she and I were talking, and I, I wasn't wanting to do some of the things I used to do, and she said, why can't you just be a normal Christian? I love that. It's such an honest question. Because what she meant was, why can't you just go to church on Sunday and then the other six days of the week, let's do whatever we want to do? Why can't you just be a normal Christian? Why can't you just be an ordinary Christian? And I struggle with that because for most of my life, I've been an ordinary, normal Christian. I went to church on Sunday and then six days a week, I did whatever I wanted to do. But ordinary Christian, this term would be so foreign to Jesus Christ. This term, ordinary Christian, would be so strange to the men and women in the first century who gave their lives for the gospel. Ordinary Christian is not a term we were ever meant to embrace or wear. Think about it. You are a disciple or you're not. You are becoming a disciple or you're not. But ordinary Christian is a term we made up to feel good 
so that all we had to do was receive forgiveness and then go back to the life we wanted to live. We accepted him. We should be following him. We should be becoming disciples. Luke 9, 23. This is such a beautiful passage. Luke 9, 23, it says, Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must, must. Again, this is another, this is a command. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. Follower, disciple, Christian, these things should all mean the same thing. What they mean is someone who has encountered Jesus Christ, repented of their sin, died to self, received new life in Christ. Now they are empowered with the Holy Spirit and God is changing the world through them. We can water down this definition and try to make it feel whatever feels good to us. But a disciple, a Christian, a follower should look distinct and different from the world around them. Because there's something distinct and different about us. I'm not too many disciples settle for churchgoer. Like churchgoer. Tell me about your relationship with Christ. I go to church. The verse didn't say go and make churchgoers. I'll be honest. I don't know that God wants more churches. I think he wants more people in the churches he already has to obey Jesus Christ. More churches would be a pleasant side effect of us all becoming disciples. Just filling more buildings with people who half-heartedly believe the gospel is not what God wants. He wants people who die to themselves and take up their cross and follow him on a daily basis. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to be harsh or, or rude or anything. But if you don't see any evidence of God in your life, then you should be concerned. Even if you think you're forgiven. If there is no evidence of the living, breathing power of God in your life, then you should be concerned should stop and think, am I becoming what I was created to be? Thy discipleship has come to sort of mean I go to church occasionally, I give when I have extra, and I serve if that mission project gives me the feels. That was never what it was meant to be. And you know what? I'm to blame. People like me are to blame for this it, it, because, because I got so focused and I'm not like I it wasn't, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't evil, it was ignorance on my part. But I got so focused on reaching people because there is a God-given evangelical imprint on my life. Like I want to reach people for Jesus Christ. Like I want everybody to hear about Jesus Christ. We've been talking about 10,000. 10,000 is an arbitrary number. I want a billion, everybody. When we reach 10,000, I want 100 million thousand, whatever the next number is. I want them all. Because there's a God-given imprint on my life to reach people for Jesus Christ. But reaching people is not my really highest calling. I'm called to equip the saints for works of service so that you become disciples. Equipping disciples, becoming disciples, this is what we are called. Not simply reach people and inoculate them and then walk off and not ever call them to a deeper level. Here's the good news. Enjoy it like a daily paper. We're called to take people deeper than they've ever been before, to surrender their lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. And I will stand in front of God one day, and I will not be accountable for how I was as an encourager, how I was as a staff member, how I was as a fundraiser, how I was as a hospital visitor. God will look at me and say, did you make disciples? And that's what I will answer for. 
Did I live as a disciple? And were disciples created through me? And that is when I will stand accountable for God. And so will you. I may be the, the person paid to do this, but we're all in the, in the priesthood of the believers. We're all pastors. You may not be a public speaker. This may not be your full-time job, but your job is to make disciples. Your job is to become a disciple, to live as a disciple, and to create disciples. No matter what you do, what you think, you are a disciple maker. That is what we will all answer to God for. Francis Chan, who is my favorite person right after my family, um, <laughs> he's amazing. All right, he's like, if there's a pastor that I could just follow around, as a matter of fact, I've received several cease and desist orders from some of my stalking with Francis Chan. But I mean, this guy is, so he, he preached this sermon not too long ago, and in it, he said something I thought it was so profound and so beautiful, and it was so cool. And, and as we're leaving Exodus, this thing that he said has been resonating on my mind over and over. He said, people, too many people in church still want to be led by Moses, right? Y'all remember Moses? He would go up on the mountain. He would do the work to climb the mountain. He would go up there, and he would talk to God. And then he would bring down a message to everyone else who'd simply been doing whatever they wanted to do. And he would speak to them for God. And then he would make sure they had manna. And he would make sure they had water. And then he would go back up the mountain and get another message and bring it back to the people. Listen to this. You don't need a Moses and I don't want to be your Moses. You don't need some sacred person to go up on the mountain and get a message from God. If the only message from God you hear comes from my mouth, then you need to reevaluate your relationship with God. You have the same access I have. It's just whether or not you choose to use it. In Matthew 27, man, something incredible happened. And I hope you didn't skip over this in your reading. It said, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Amen. Amen. Gosh. So Jesus is being crucified, and in there, there's a temple, and the temple was the sacred place, and different people could enter different levels of the temple based on their sacredness, and there was one room called the Holy of Holies, and in there was this big curtain, and behind that big curtain was the presence of God, and one person could walk into that holy space and be in the presence of God one time a year, and then he would come back out and share with everybody else what God had said. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross, that curtain that separated God from the people was torn in half, and you all now have full and unheathered access to God. Everybody has access. Can you imagine the people following Moses? If, I know this is all out of order in the timeline, but just stick with me. If Jesus had died before Moses, that, that curtain was torn, and Moses comes down off the mountain, he's like, everyone... I've got a message from God. And they're like, we all got a message from God. We've been with him all week too. I've got 10 commandments. We've all got 10 commandments. We've been with him all week too. This, that is the heart of what this gathering should be. Not one person who spent some time with God coming down to give some sacred message to a bunch of people who've sat around all week, but a bunch of people who have prepared and read and worshiped and studied, and we all come in here together to share this incredible thing we call the good news. I, 
I don't want to be Moses. I want to sacrifice with people who are willing to sacrifice. I want to equip people who want to be equipped. I want to give with people who are willing to give. I want to serve with people who are willing to serve. I want to read with people who've been reading all week. I want to pray with people who've been praying all week. I want to worship with people who've been worshiping all week. I want to see things I have never seen before, and that will not happen if we don't become disciples. Like, I, I, I read in Acts, guys, you're going to get to Acts, the room shakes, the walls crack. Why can't that still happen? If you've been here for a long time, and you are not growing, and you are not giving, and you are not reading, and you are not serving, then you are holding us back. And I love you, but you're holding us back. It's time to step forward. It's time to move. It's time for more. It's time to become what we were created to be. And listen, I always want a room full of people in here who don't know Jesus Christ. I pray that we are so magnetic and winsome in our discipleship that people come flocking in here, not for music and not for messages and not for programs, because the Spirit of God is so tangible in this room. You can't resist it. People flocked to Jesus, and he was very honest, and they flocked to him. Why? Because he was Jesus. Gosh, who doesn't want to be around Jesus? Who doesn't want more of Jesus? This, this is what we're becoming. This is who we were created to be, and none of this is possible on our own. We're not on our own. This is only possible through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is empowering us. We can't do that. You can't, you can't just wake up and say, you know what? I think I'm going to be a disciple. No. You were called to be a disciple. Long before the foundations of the earth, you were called to be a disciple. You receive that and then you walk into it. You live into it. But it starts by surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ. And so there's James, the half-brother of Jesus, because i got different daddies. The, half, the half-brother of Jesus, that always makes me laugh. The half-brother of Jesus said, hey, I want you to take this book and I want you to use it like a mirror and look at it. <laughs> My hair's on fleek today. <laughs> he said, I want you to take this book and I want you to use it like a mirror. I don't just want you to read it. I want you to actually do what it says. And so we're going to walk through a couple of measuring sticks of things. And, and let me hear me. The goal of this is not condemnation. Uh, but if you're offended, I'm Okay. Because the gospel should be offensive every now and then, and I'd rather offend you than him, so we're going to go ahead and stick to the truth. But some of these things will be offensive, and that's okay. We'll all survive. First, the first measuring stick, the first question you need to ask yourself is, are you attempting to practice discipline in your life? Disciple, discipline. Are you, I know we all love discipline conversations, are you attempting to practice discipline in your life? 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says this, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Are you practicing discipline in your life? As you grow towards Christ, you grow in discipline. Like there, there are specific instructions in this book on how to live your life in every single aspect of life. So are you practicing discipline? Are you practicing discipline with, with your consumption of alcohol? 
Are you practicing discipline uh, with, with your consumption of food? Are you practicing discipline with the way you maintain your body, with the way you care for yourself? Are you practicing discipline with your words? Are you practicing discipline with, with your alone time, with your finances? Are you seeing discipline in your life? Because if you are still mastered by something other than Christ, it's time for a new master. And I'm not talking to you guys as one who doesn't understand habits. I'm not Jeff. I'm real. I'm a real human being. I've been through normal stuff. I understand habits as much as anybody. But I also understand the power of God to break chains. And if you are continuing to live as a victim because you are... You are I'm a slave to something that was never meant to be your master, then it is time to own up and change. Nothing masters the people of God. We refuse to be mastered by anything. Are you seeing discipline in your life? The second question, is Christ affecting, affecting, whatever? Is he affecting all areas of your life? Matthew 6.10 says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Is Christ affecting all areas of your life or just this hour? Is it the same you Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Or do we just come into church, put on our Jesus mask? I'm fine, you're fine, everybody's fine, fine, we're all fine. Right? I mean, Really? Has Christ woven himself into the way you treat your kids? Has Christ woven himself into the way you treat waitresses at restaurants? Has he woven himself into the fabric of your marriage and your job and your, and your duck camp and your deer camp and, and, and what you watch on television? Has he woven himself into other areas of your life or is he just the Sunday forgive your sins, escape and make you feel better? Because you should demand more. You should demand more because let me tell you this, he is demanding more from you. Is Christ moving? Can, can you see him moving into other areas of your life. And if not, this is an area to begin to practice discipleship. The third one, and this is probably my favorite, am I still passively receiving or am I proactively pursuing? Am I, for, I like alliteration, that's one reason, but am I still passively receiving or am I proactively pursuing? Listen to Hebrews 5. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use, who by constant use have trained themselves. That means they did some work. They have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I love that. Are you passively receiving or are you proactively pursuing? And the illustration the Bible uses, not me, the Bible, the illustration the Bible uses is an infant. Because infants are passive receivers, right? Like, you got to change them and infants are happy as long as everything is going their way, Right? You give an infant something to drink and you play some music that they like and you, you give them something to watch that makes them happy and you tell them what they want to hear and you 
give them that bottle and you feed them, they're perfectly happy. But the minute they're not, the minute they lose that food or they don't have what they want or the music isn't what they like, they start to whine and complain. Hashtag American church. This, this is a problem that too many people in the church, too many people who call this house their home are still living like infants. And it's okay to be an infant at one point. We all start as spiritual infants. But if you're an infant 42 years later, then that diaper no longer fits and it's getting a little weird. <laughs> it is time to grow up, to take the next step. If you, think, if you still think that this place exists to meet your needs, then it is time to remove the bottle from your mouth and put on your big kid pants. We do not exist to meet your needs. We exist for the glory of our God, and you exist to meet his needs. That's the truth. We're not here to make you happy. That's not why we exist. None of us are here for you. We're here for him. And mature people understand the church of Jesus Christ does not exist to meet my needs. It's time for some people to grow up. You're not just here to... And I can break this down a little more for you on that. We're here. We might as well, might as well go all the way, I guess. <laughs> are you coming in here to be read to? Or are you reading all week in preparation for what we're going to read together? Are you coming in here to, to listen to prayer? Or have you been praying all week in preparation for the fact that we're going to pray together? Are you coming in here to watch a worship show? Or have you been worshiping all week in preparation for us to worship together? Are you, are you, have you kicked in any money at all for the seat you're sitting in? Or do you believe it's someone else's responsible to, to pay all the bills around here? Let me sit on that one for just a second. <laughs> Guys, we, we don't have half the resources we need to sustain what we're doing here. Because there is a small group of people who've stepped out in faith, who thought other people would, and it's happening far slower than we ever dreamed it would. If you've been here, I want to say this as plain and as clear as I can, and if you have a problem with it, pick up your Bible and read it. You'll be far more offended by Malachi than you are by me. If you're going here, and this is your home, and you are not giving, it's time for you to step up. It is time. If you, I'm wait, what are you waiting for? If you keep waiting, we're going to be meeting outside. And it's just going to be me and you. And we will have no missions, no building, and no staff. So if you want to just hang out with me all day, it's time. It's time. Everyone can do. I want to be as plain as I can. And I want to just, if you want to, everyone can do something. We all can't do what other people can do. But you can do something. Every single person who goes to church here should be giving till it hurts a little. And that's just the truth. And again, if you don't believe me, finish reading the book. It says it a lot more than I ever will. I used to be so scared to say that. Now I'm not. I'm really not. Because I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make disciples. And disciples are people who sacrifice and give. Are you proactively pursuing people? Are you inviting people to this place? Are you just letting somebody else fill it up? Like what? Are, are, are you just here to receive or are you here to give? Because if you're a guest in this house, again, if you're, if you're here the first day, you're like, I don't know about this place. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But I want you to hear how far we are willing to go for you. This is how far we're willing to go to win you so that you can realize it's not all about you. And then you can realize it's about Jesus Christ. And when you realize that, you are set free to become the person you were designed to be. 
And the final question we need to ask ourselves is, are you growing in love for God and love for God's people? Are you growing in love for God and love for God's people? And Chris talked about this last week and did an amazing job. Matthew chapter 22, it says, many of you know this, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Are you growing in love for God and love for people? And most of us, our first answer is yes. And so again, I just want to challenge you. Yes, based on what? Your feelings and emotions? In kingdom math, in the Bible, love is always equated with sacrifice. No greater love has anyone than to lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Love is always equated with sacrifice. So if you want a measuring stick about whether or not you were growing in love for God and God's people, ask yourself, is there any measurable thing you are sacrificing for God and for God's people? Like, look, let the math tell the story. Are you sacrificing anything for God and for God's people? And if you're not sacrificing, then what are you basing your love off of? Some ethereal emotion? I mean, that's not biblical love. Biblical love is a verb. It's an action. You're doing something. Are you loving God and loving God's people? I can measure that by seeing what am I doing for God and for God's people. Measure it. And then decide, are you just sitting here week after week after week after week and you're not growing and you're not becoming more disciplined and you're not serving and you're not giving? And if that's the truth, either we're the wrong place for you or you're not living up to the person you were called to be. And only you know that answer. We're not here to make church members. We're here to make disciples. And the truth is, I don't really care how big we get. I care how many disciples we make. I want to be in a room with people who love Jesus so much that nothing else matters. Like, I want to be a disciple, and I'm going to become one. And I'm inviting you to become one with me. The only way we will make disciples is to live as disciples, to become disciples. And so what do we do? If you know you're not there, if you know you've strayed, what do you do? Here's what you do. You get down on your knees. You repent. We tell God, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. Guys, and I'm not, it's not all doom and gloom. There are beautiful things happening here. There are disciples here. But if you're not there, if you're not moving in that direction, then get down on your knees, repent, and say, God, I want another shot. I want to become one of those people. We have this small little taste of time, this small little breath, a vapor of time. And in this time, we have the opportunity to become and to win. Use it. But big church will never be enough for me, and it was never enough for Jesus Christ. He came to make disciples. Are you willing to become what he really died to make you? Have an honest conversation with God. And then do what only a disciple has the power to do. Repent and turn back to Jesus Christ.